The Lord be with you. Ah, Leviticus. I know you all came to church today because you wanted to know how many days a woman is ritually impure after she menstruates, yes? That's why you're here today? All right, so here's the thing. We can read these passages with one of two lenses, with a a lens of suspicion that says, ah, you know what, this was just rules written by men to control women. Well, maybe. But the trick is, if we just look at it with a lens of suspicion... We don't actually learn anything new. We only verify what we already believe starting off. We can also read this passage with a lens of generosity. A lens that says, there is some gift being given to us in this passage. Can we try to figure out what it is? And so in an attempt to read this passage of Leviticus with a lens of generosity, I thought to myself, well, are there times in our society where we temporarily declare people unclean and set them aside? And I realized right now, our director of family life, Danny Vogel, is not here this morning because she has COVID. And she is indeed ritually impure. She is sequestered for, you know, at least a week, maybe two. And then if she goes through the rites of purification, you know, swabbing and all that, we'll let her back into the church, yeah? And I give thanks for that time of separation. Yeah, that is a blessing, both to her so she can heal and to us so that we don't get sick. But I'm also aware that sometimes times of separation are not always beneficial. And this has become particularly clear to me through my grandmother. So my grandmother, her name's Artemisa. Uh, I have a picture of of her here with my wife. This was a picture taken six years ago down in Mexico where uh, most of her life she has lived. And the thing to know about Artemisa is she is the daughter of a Mexican general, right? She is the epitome of uh, an iron fist in a velvet glove, yeah? She is uh, elegant and beautiful and the life of every single party, charming as can be, and yet she is iron strong. This woman would run 10 miles a day when I was a child, And let me tell you, when she sets her mind to something, there is nothing on earth that can stop her, right? When when she orders people to do something, they jump. But over the course of the pandemic, she, like many others, remained inside her house and didn't go out. And something happened to her in that time, something which I am still trying to understand because it doesn't make sense to me. But somehow, in that period of not interacting with others, she began to disconnect from the life that I knew her to have. On a physical level, she shrunk to about half her size. Uh, This is a picture of her, right? That's the same woman last year when I went to visit her in Mexico, and she's there with my daughter. But it wasn't just the physical transformation. It was something with her spirit, right? Where she used to love clothes and makeup, that has lost all interest for her. Where she used to want to talk about every single subject she can think of, arts and politics. She really has very few topics of conversation that still interest her. And even after the pandemic was over, she would not leave her house. My grandpa would go out and you know, see family members and, you know, go to concerts, but my grandma just would not leave. And even when we went and visited her last year, 
If we wanted to see her, we had to go and be with her in her home. And I realized that maybe the isolation didn't cause that transformation, but the isolation prevented us from supporting her to prevent that transformation. And so there is in my heart a deep questioning, why is this separation a good thing? Why would God give people these large chunks of time to be apart? And because I do want to read this passage with a lens of generosity, I spent this week reading the perspective of people for whom Leviticus is not some archaic relic that we ignore, but is actually their rule of life today. And so I read the writings of rabbis, modern rabbis. And one of the things that seems to be a consensus for them is that these ritual purity laws have to do with death. The sense is, God, God is the Lord of life, the source and being of all life in this world. And when we come into contact with death or a reminder of death, that separates us on an emotional and spiritual level from God. And those reminders can be things like touching a corpse, which Leviticus says makes you ritually impure. It can be diseases like leprosy that are very much reminders of death. It can even be the uh, emission of reproductive fluids, which are maybe not death, but they're a recognition of there was a potential for life that was lost. And so the rabbis say, God gives the Hebrew people these periods of time to honestly recognize what has happened, that they have come into contact with a loss of life, and to have time to process that contact, but then to also have a way to reaffirm their connection to the Lord of life. And while that all makes sense for things like corpses and diseases, What we hear in Leviticus 12 is that ritual impurity also comes about through giving birth to a child. Which, if ritual impurity has to do with death, isn't giving birth to a child the exact opposite? Isn't it bringing life into the world? But there was one rabbi who I read, Rabbi Lauren Birkin, and she said this. She said she had had conversations with friends who wondered about whether or not they wanted to have children. And they said they weren't sure they wanted to have children because of how much suffering there was in this world, and they didn't want to bring a child into that. And this rabbi says, you know, when you give birth to a child, you give birth to a reality that this child will someday die. And that is a hard, terrifying thing for every parent to come to terms with. And so, Scripture says, take time, as a parent, apart. Take time to rest. Take time to make sense of this death that you have to confront and find a way once more to reconnect with the Lord of life. And this rabbi says, you know, it's doubly so for girls. I don't know if you noticed that. The amount of time of ritual impurity... If you give birth to a boy, it's only half as long as it is if you give birth to a girl. And and this rabbi says, here's the thing. When you give birth to a girl, you have given birth to someone who can herself give birth. You have given birth to someone who can also bring forth life into this world. And so you have given birth to the opportunity for death twice. 
And so she says, God says, take twice as long to process what has just happened in your life. And I will say, you know, this does have some resonance with me because after my daughter was born, I also spent six weeks separated from the ritual life of our community. We called it paternity leave, yeah? And it was time when, honestly, my wife and I had to confront the reality that our child is very fragile, and it's a lot of work to keep her alive. But we also had to come to terms with the fact that the life that we knew before she was born had just died, yeah? We were confronting death on a whole other level there, and... And so we were given time apart from the responsibilities of our communal life. And for that, I give thanks. It was a blessing. But I am also aware that sometimes that time of separation, it can be hard to come back from it. I've heard plenty of stories of particularly mothers who spent time away from their careers to care for their children, and then when they were ready to come back from their careers, found it was really hard to do so. One of the big trouble, troubles that folks who live on the street have is that living on the street, they have to learn a new way to exist, to survive on the street, a way that is often at odds with the way we exist when we live in houses. And if people live on the street too long, they forget the culture of people who live in houses, and it makes it really hard for them to come back. In our scriptures today, we have the story of two elders for whom their time of separation appears it may continue indefinitely. The first is Simeon, a man who is described as righteous and devout and who is looking for the consolation of Israel. Now, If your idea of the consolation of Israel is a day when Israel is at peace and has no problems, this man is going to be waiting an awfully long time. The other person we hear about is a woman named Anna. And it says that Anna lived with her husband for seven years, and then he died. And then she has lived the rest of her life separate from society, sequestered in the temple. And she's now 84. We don't know the exact numbers of years that is, but it's probably decades. To say she is a woman for whom her grief separated her from life, and it has gone on for decades because she can't figure out how to reintegrate with life once more. And that is what has happened with my grandma. This past year, my grandpa and my grandma moved up to the United States, to Albuquerque, New Mexico, where my mom lives. And I was excited because that has meant that my, my grandma had to leave her house, right? You can't get from Mexico to Albuquerque without leaving your house. I was like, Praise God, maybe her separation from life is over. And so my wife and I, we went this past month to go visit her. And what I discovered was she may be physically back out in the world, but she hasn't reintegrated, at least not into the life that I knew She's still half her size. She walks now out in the world, but where she used to run, now she has this tiny shuffling gait. And I think worst of all is when we go out into the world, we would like meet her at a restaurant or something. And the rest of us as a family, we have a sense of, well, we're here in a restaurant and we have a shared expectation of what's going to happen in this space, right? We're going to order food, we're going to talk, we're going to eat our food That shared expectation no longer applies to her. 
She is not there for the same reasons we are, and it's unclear to me why she is there. But she will take a napkin and shred it. Or I think to process anxiety, she's constantly chewing a wad of gum everywhere she goes, and, and she'll take the wad of gum and she'll set it on the, on the table. And, and I will say, if, if ritual impurity comes about because we're connecting with death, in a way that separates us from life, and we need time to process with that. My grandma has become a walking reminder of mortality in a way that I have to admit made me want to separate from her, made me want to spend time apart. But here's the thing. If if our desire to avoid death separates us from life, but even life itself becomes a reminder of death that separates us further, and that separation just keeps continuing, how is it that we return once more to a fully integrated life? Well, God gives the Hebrew people instructions to do just that. And God's instructions amount to this, to look for the Lord of life, in death itself. And God meant that very literally. God meant to look through for life in the death of blood sacrifice. For people for whom they have encountered death and wondered, am I now apart from God, who is life itself? God says, take time, process that yourself, and then come to my house. Come to the house of the Lord of life where they have priests and rituals and prayers, everything possible to remind you that God is here and here in this place where you know God is present. Bring forth an animal, a lamb, if you can afford it, a dove, if you can't, and participate in the death of that animal. And see that in that death, God is still present here. So that you may know when you encounter death in your life, you are not separate from God. Now I'll admit, I can speak these words to you and understand them on an intellectual level. On an emotional level, that idea does not resonate. Yeah, Or at least it didn't resonate until this past month when I visited my grandma. Because here's the thing. When I visited my grandma, I went with my wife and our two-year-old. And I don't know if you know this about two-year-olds, but they also do not go into public spaces with the same expectations of what you're supposed to do in that space. Yes? We'd go to a restaurant to see my grandma, and Sophia also was not there to order a dinner and have a conversation. She was there to wander aimlessly around the space. And when my grandma would start like tearing up napkins, Sophia would think, hey, what a great idea. I want to tear up napkins too. When my grandma would pull out that giant wad of gum, Sophia would say, that looks like a lot of fun. I want to play with that. And of course, I have to intervene. Oh, don't do that. When we're trying to talk about politics or philosophy or arts, and, and my grandma is just kind of silent or muttering a few things, Sophia is silent or just muttering a few things. And then I realized Sophia and my grandma were on the exact same wavelength. We were trying to have a fancy dinner. They just wanted to play patty cake. And they did. And here's the thing. Because Sophia 
had no expectations, my daughter had no expectations about what life was supposed to look like because she had no assumptions of how she was supposed to interact with my grandmother, she had no grief over what had been lost, like I did. And so she could simply see the truth of what was right in front of her. And what she saw in front of her was a woman who was beautiful, who was joyous, who was filled with love for her. She saw a woman who was alive. When Jesus comes into the temple, Simeon, this old man who's been waiting for the consolation of Israel, he sees Jesus and he takes Jesus into his arms. And at last he is satisfied. He is satisfied not because Israel has peace or will never again suffer conflict. He is satisfied because in Jesus he has seen God who is willing to enter into this mortal world with its suffering, its sickness, and its death. Simeon experiences the consolation of Israel because Israel has a God who will be with it no matter what. In the hardest of times, even in the dying of times. In Jesus, Simeon sees that there is nothing not even death that can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Anna, this widow who has in her grief been separated from society for so long, when she sees Jesus, it says she goes forth with joy, telling everyone she can about him, everyone who's looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. Jerusalem is redeemed not because it will never again have death and violence. Jerusalem is redeemed because... Jesus is the one who says God can see in the midst of that death and violence the beauty, the joy, the love that is still there in the city that can see the life that remains. And if God can see such life in Jerusalem, how much more can God see such life in Anna? My avoidance from death when I looked at my grandma, all I could see was death, and I wanted to avoid her. But Sophia, Sophia could see the life. Sophia could see the love. And because Sophia could see it, she could show it to me. She redeemed me. She redeemed me from the separation I had from this wonderful woman who has loved me my whole life and who loves me now. I say that my grandma doesn't have many interests, many topics of conversation. She has one. The only thing she ever says when I call her these days is, Ben, you know I love you, right? Because that's all that matters. The book of Leviticus says, when you have given birth to a child, go to the temple. Restore your relationship with the Lord of life by offering a lamb. Or if you can't afford a lamb, a dove. The scriptures tell us that Mary can't afford a lamb. And so she brings two doves. But of course Mary does also bring a lamb. She brings the lamb of God. She brings Jesus Christ who will gladly enter death so that we might know in death 
the Lord of life is with us. This is why we no longer offer blood sacrifices as Christians. Oh sure, our avoidance of death still separates us from life, but in Jesus we have the Lamb who embraces death so that we might be reintegrated into life. And that is why we, as Christians, we go to visit the sick. It is why we go to visit the elderly. It is why we go to visit the dying. And it is also why we welcome the children into our midst here in worship, not just because old and young together bless one another, not just because this is one of the last places in our society where a toddler and an octogenarian can connect without being family, but because when we go and visit people, who cannot maintain the pretense of life as we know it, when we welcome children who refuse to abide by the assumptions of what life is supposed to look like, they bless us. They bless us with the truth of what life is, a gift no matter what it looks like. And so, friends, may we, like Simeon, receive this gift given to us in Jesus so that at the end of our days we may say as he does, Master, now you are dismissing your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation. Amen.